Yo, what's up, fool? You're listening to the Life in Paradise podcast, man. It's this dude named Brandon Harper. And he's kind of crazy, man. Like, he don't care too much about what people think. And he's always speaking his mind and this and that. And, you know, he's a pretty cool dude. You know, he, he has a one brewery. Where they make the beer. Man, it's pretty good, too. But you're not here to hear me talk. You're here to listen to Brandy. But thanks again for listening. And like Brandon always say, keep it tranquilo. Audio to sound exactly how I want it. I don't know what to do. It's like echoey and so sharp and I don't know. I just don't know. Someone texted me the other day and they said, whoa, your Indian voice is spot on. I was like, all my voices are spot on. (laughs) No, I'm kidding. I have lots of need improvement. But I've always liked to impersonate people. I know I've kind of mentioned it before, but it's not out of disrespect. In fact, it's probably more out of respect because even though while I will talk like someone talks, I'm not making fun of them. I'm just kind of just like giggling at at their accent, you know, And, and, and I'm fine with them doing that to me too. So... I feel like as long as you can dish it out and take it in, no harm, no foul, I would do those impressions in front of all of my Mexican friends, all of my Indian friends. I mean, I don't have a lot of Indian friends, but if I did, if they were my friend, they would understand my sense of humor, and they would know that I meant no harm by impersonating the way that they speak English. And I've said before, I greatly admire people who speak multiple languages, and it's it's kind of it's it's kind of hard to explain because like I don't feel like I'm making fun of the way that they're trying to speak English. It's almost like it's a culture, like their it's their accent has become part of their culture and it's part of their personality and who they are and the way they think and their mannerisms and the way they talk. And and like Kale and I, my business partner, we will we will roast anyone, we will clown anyone. We clown each other. We make fun of each other. It's just the way that some guys are. And so, I don't know, a lot of people are offended at doing voices, but I don't, I don't mean it in any malicious way, if that makes sense. And, and if you don't know me, I can understand why you'd think it's kind of rude. But um, if you know me, you probably get it. I recently heard a story the other day that had it not been so... Had the event not taken place... So long before I heard the story, I would have participated. And here's how I'll, I'll break it down. So there was a news report out of Asheville, which is in North Carolina. And it's rapidly become kind of like the next artist city, you know, like Seattle was back in the day. Well, way back San Francisco and then Seattle 
and now Austin and Portland. And so there's these cities that just evolve into hyper-liberal artist-run cities. And that's what Asheville is kind of becoming. It's weird because a lot of these places will sit in the heart of a conservative area and they just become little groups of outliers that all get together. So, I don't know, it's a strange phenomenon. Either way, a story came out of Asheville (laughs) and an animal advocacy group went crazy because somebody took a Trump sticker and put it on a black bear's neck. (laughs) I just think that is the funniest thing. I mean, first of all, you got to be a pretty brave dude to run up on a bear. And I realize black bears aren't very aggressive and they're probably not going to hurt you. But to let someone get that close and then wham, he slaps a sticker on him. And then it's a Trump sticker. It's like, I mean, if your goal is to work some people up, that is the way to do it. And so this advocacy group came out and they said, this is inhumane. This is not right. This is just cruelty. We should not use animals to push our political viewpoints. And all I could do was just chuckle. And so they offered, a, I think, a $5,000 reward to anyone that would lead to the arrest of the person who put the sticker on the bear. And had I heard about it, and if it was in like, if it was within a couple days of when I was traveling through that area, I was coming back from, from Tennessee, I would have had someone call and report me so that they could just do whatever they wanted to do. They could lock me up, they could take me to jail, and then like, That would have been great publicity for the brewery. And I think people in Texas would have, like, put me at hero status. Like, that son of a bitch drove to North Carolina and stuck a Trump sticker on a dadgum bear. (laughs) I feel like that'd be great publicity. I mean, it's just a sticker, right? You're You're not tattooing the bear. You're not cutting off one of his toes and making a necklace out of it. He slapped a sticker on his neck. It's not the end of the world. I don't know. To me, whoever did that, is a funny, funny person. What's funny to me is that the, um, the media, you know, when they, when they set out to destroy someone or they have uh, intentions to, to speak ill about someone in order to hurt their reputation, which is pretty sad that they do it these days. I understand why they do. Once again, I think there is a, um, a deep longing for unbiased journalism, but I'll save that topic for another day. Um, so yeah, so, so when the, when the media, when someone comes under fire, that's the new big term, right? Everyone loves that one under fire. Will they recover? They're under fire, decreasing the value of words. Once again, like helicopters under fire, uh, a guy who's being criticized for putting a sticker on a bear, not under fire, but whenever they set out to blast somebody, it ends up that there's normally a decent sized group of people who comes to their defense. And this is one of the things that Trump has proven, or, or he does beautifully, if that's, if your goal is to manipulate the media, you need to do exactly what Trump does. It's just like the, um, him threatening to, um, you know, to move the election or to delay it. I listen to a lot of podcasts, and I have a lot of uh, left-leaning podcasts in my favorites. And, I was listening to him, and I cannot tell you how many people spent time talking about that. So with one tweet, he just he ignites the gunpowder, and it just goes and goes and goes and goes. And I got to thinking, like, okay, 
So that's, you're giving him what he wants by just going on and on and on and on about it. So what would be the antithesis to that? What would be the opposite of it? What if everyone just deleted Trump? Even if just the people who really despise him deleted him. If half his followers fell off tomorrow, I wonder what he would do. I think that could be the biggest blow to his ego. Far bigger than everyone sitting around whining, bitching, moaning, complaining about he doesn't know what he's talking about. And hey, believe me. Hey, listen, I saw an interview with Trump and I actually felt bad for Trump. I was embarrassed because he did not know the answers to the questions. And I just wish he would say he doesn't know the answers. But either way, not talking about that. But yeah, if uh, if everyone just unfollowed him and they didn't respond to any of his comments, if the only feedback he got was from his followers, I wonder what that would do to him. It would be an interesting experiment. Because you have to you have to know that like a big portion of his followers are haters. Trolls as they call them. <laughs> In today's world, if you disagree with someone online, you're a troll. You don't you don't have the right to say you disagree. You're just called a troll. So thinking about Trump and the whole, like, you know, put him on mute thing got me to thinking. Uh, There was one protest I saw a while back. I think it was a college in the Northwest. I don't remember much of the details. But there was the students were protesting against a, a professor, and I don't even remember what they were upset about or why they were mad or anything like that. But I just remember that all those students gathered when the when the professor was cleaning out his office and he was toting his boxes upstairs and he was getting all of his desk stuff out and into boxes. And they all gathered around where the car was and where the building was. And he came out and there was thousands and thousands and thousands of students. And they all just stood there in dead silence. And man, I'll tell you what, like it gave me chills. I mean, you could hear a pin drop, you know? And I'm thinking like, if the Black Lives Matter people really wanted to to create something to observe. Imagine if we just had thousands and thousands of people that were protesting and they may, they maybe have had their, their signs that said whatever they wanted them to say, but there's no chanting and there's no screaming and there was no sticking their finger in the faces of police officers and there's no breaking windows and no Molotov cocktails and no 70 days of turmoil and no autonomous zones. Did I cover everything? I think you get the idea. Just a silent protest would be so powerful. Just an idea. I don't know. I don't plan on protesting anytime soon. But if I ever do, I'm going to urge that we go in silence. So the corona state of Texas right now is still pretty stupid. And I say that it's stupid because we're not really giving much thought to things. You know, you've heard me before talk about how slowing the spread down is worthless if we don't have a plan. But the way that they've got Texas right now, bars and breweries are pretty much closed unless you're serving food. And then it gets real complicated. And I don't want to go into all the details, but we were able to change our license at New Aces Brewing Company to allow us to serve food. And so we're going to kind of reopen as a restaurant. And man, when I tell you that it is exhausting going through this, I mean, we spent two years building a business plan, one year liquidating our assets, a year in construction. We operated for a year and now we've written like three or four business plans since we opened. And it's tiring 
but we have no choice. Like we have to just keep going. And so that's what we're doing. But I tell you what, it is so tiresome hearing people say, just hang in there, just hang in there. And I know I've talked about it on here before, but I've got to vent a little bit more because I want everyone to understand what that means, you know, just hang in there, you know, and, and, and I said before when I talked about it, like, yep, you can hang in there until your money runs out and then there's no more hanging. You're done. Like game over. Like when you play Monopoly and you're out of money, you're done. Everyone has all your property. Everyone has all your money and you go away. You, you leave and you're done and you go find another game to play. And so it's not really, we really don't have a choice, right? It's either quit, walk away right now owing a bunch of people a bunch of money, owing a landlord a bunch of rent, you know, and, and having this equipment that would have to sell, it would just be a huge mess. So naturally we have to keep trying, but there comes a point in time when you have to make the decision to quit and face the music and do what you have to deal with to get out from underneath a deal. And it's just business. And I feel like a lot of people, when they're saying, just hang in there, just hang in there, you know, oh, that's so great. You guys are going to open as a restaurant. I'm like, yes, we're opening as a restaurant, but we can't have enough people in here to do enough business to sustain. So maybe we're just prolonging the inevitable. Maybe we've been shot in the side with a, a 45 and we just got a little Band-Aid on it and we're just waiting it out. You know, who knows? Like, I don't know what's going to happen. And at some point in time, you got to just pull the plug, you know? And, and I know of someone who had a very successful venue in Houston, they did live music shows. They had a great kitchen. They did barbecue. They had beer. They didn't make their own beer, but they served beer, full alcohol. Just, just a top-notch place. And the minute this thing happened, the minute that they ordered him to close his doors, he goes, you know what? I'm done. I'm done. He saw, he saw the future. He said, you know what? Like, I don't have the cash to sustain this. If I quit right now, I could take the cash that I have, I can pay back all of the people who have paid for tickets and give them their money back. I can pay everyone I owe money to. I can sell all my equipment and I can be done. And then when everything goes on sale and there's a bunch of empty real estate and there's a bunch of empty restaurants and there's a bunch of equipment available, he said, I can just buy it back for pennies on the dollar and start over again. And, and he suspects that his venue, the same place that he was leasing, will still be available because this is a high dollar place in a highly desirable location right on the freeway where, you know, it's, it's a big money deal and there's not going to be anyone doing anything for a while. So he was like, you know what? I'm just going to shut everything down, settle up with everyone and just wait. And when things go on sale and everything gets cheap, I'm going to re up and I'm going to go again. And there's something to be said for that. You have to decide when you're going to do that because if you just, Hang in there and 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 hang in there. And you spend all of your money just trying to stay afloat. Now what? Now you're done. You're upside down. You owe more money than what you have. You got a bunch of equipment you can't sell because the bottom's falling out because you just hung in there. So I don't know, guys. Like My advice to you is be like, don't tell people just to hang in there because it's frustrating. And, and I know that it sounds like it might be encouraging, but if you've never owned or operated your own business, it's just, it's probably not the right thing to say because it could be bad advice. You know, it really could because entrepreneurs, business owners, they're not going to quit because it's hard. They're not going to quit because they're starting to lose a little bit of money. They're only going to quit when it makes sense financially 
and their pride's not in the way because pride will keep you going. So I don't know. I don't know. I don't know what my advice would be to tell them, but probably not hang in there. Probably, I don't know, probably something along the lines of, well, have you decided, do you have a plan? Do you know what you're going to do? Like, do you have a plan B? And I know it's a tough, it's a tough question, but make sure that they have a plan, that there's a path that when the, you know what, hits a fan, that there's something to do. And, you know, Kale and I are getting ready to have a meeting with a guy that's a, he's a bankruptcy attorney, you know, he specializes in bankruptcies and, you know, it's better to have that meeting and not need it than to need it and not have it and, and realize that you just, you missed out. You know, you could have spent six months doing this or saving this or, you know, if you would have had 20000 more dollars, you could pay the attorneys to salvage your credit or who knows? Like, I've never been through this. I don't know. But lots and lots and lots of people are about to go through it. And nobody should be surprised. Don't act surprised. It's okay. Businesses are going to fail. They're going to go away and they're going to come back. And it's going to kill a lot of people's finances. But what's about to happen? You're about to see the economy in a state that you've never seen it before. This isn't just going to rebound. This isn't a soccer ball move. It's about to go down. I don't know how long it's going to stay down, but it's not going to just bounce right back. Personally, I'll I'll tell you my opinion. This is my opinion. Some people say that I've been saying this for a long time. Some people say that I'm too negative. I don't know. I'm the kind of person that prepares for the worst and hopes for the best. I don't sit around and sugarcoat things. You know, I try to keep it real, as them kids be saying. And I think, okay, let me just put it to you this way. I think the dollar is going to crash. If the dollar doesn't crash now, what we're going through, it's, it's invincible and it will never crash. Because the conditions are absolutely aligned perfectly for the dollar to lose a ridiculous amount of value. I don't know over how long. I, If I had to guess, if someone had a gun to my head and they said, how long is it going to be? I would say we'll see rock bottom 18 to 24 months maybe. And I mentioned it before, but like gold is on the climb. It's at record all time in the history that we've been buying and selling gold it is higher than it's ever been. And that is also adjusted for inflation. So once again, we have to think about the dollar today is worth way more than what it was in 1905. So we have to adjust that. It's called adjusting for inflation. So if we take the price of gold and we adjust it for inflation, I'm pretty sure, I'm not 100% sure, but I'm pretty sure it's, it's higher than it's ever been before. I know nominally, which means just like by the dollar, it's higher than it's ever been before. Silver, it's right there close to it. If it's not higher than it's ever been before, it's getting close. Bitcoin, same thing. Not as high as it's ever been, but it's on the climb. And so these three things are moving. And this tells me that, that people are shifting from the dollar. And I'm not going to go in too hardcore of an economic lesson, but they're shifting from the dollar to other things that are more stable, that have other value. People that are way smarter than me. People that follow finances way more in depth than I do. Everybody thinks that, that the indicator of how our economy is doing is the stock market. And there is so much more to it. There's so much more to it than the stock market. Sure, the stock market can be an indicator. You know, just, just like a car or, or a human, um, the economy is made up of a bunch of parts. So, you know, you can have a, a stubbed toe or, or a loose 
toenail, hangnail, or you can have a, a slice in your arm with stitches in it, and you're still fine. You're still going about your way, doing your things. You know, a car can have a bad alternator, and you can still run it on the road. You can just get a jump everywhere you go, and you can still get by. Your windshield wipers might not work right, but the car will still go. Overall, the car can still be healthy. But what we don't do is we don't look at the headlights and say, man, look how bright those headlights are. That car is amazing. No, we look the whole car over. We see all the other parts and pieces. We check it. We kick the tires. We drive it. We shift the gears. And then we make our decision. But so many people want to just look at the stock market and use that as a litmus test for the rest of the economy. And so while it's important, there's lots of other things to look at. My whole point is that if you have some extra cash, extra extra money anywhere, I would consider buying some gold, silver, and gold stocks. And you can do it at any gold exchange. Uh, most jewelry places will do it. Um, yeah, and you just trade your dollars for the for the gold. It, try to go to a reputable place because there's there's shady people out there. So, you know, you're not you don't get a better price if you go to the bad part of town. It's all based on this what's called the spot price. Uh, most places will do, you know, they'll, they'll give you a percentage over spot price. So uh, 5% is fair, you know, anything 5 to 10, 10%, 10 is getting a little on the high side, 5% is a fair price. So how that works is that there's daily published rates of gold, what gold's trading for. That's called the spot price. And so you look at the spot price of the guy, he shows it to you, you check it on your phone, make sure it's accurate because all you have to do is Google spot price gold. Tells you the amount per ounce. Normally, gold coins are in one ounce coins. So, a gold coin right now is going to cost you about two thousand dollars. That's funny because it's a it's a fifty dollar golden coin, and so you know if you if you were to go spend it at the store, it's worth fifty bucks. If you were to harvest the gold from it and sell that, that's worth about two thousand. So, people don't buy them as currency; they buy them as a store of value. And once again, I tore off on a rabbit trail the moral of the story if you have some cash sitting around you know, might want to think about buying some gold or silver if you need more details hit me up also bitcoin bitcoin too although it's it's skyrocketing so but i'm still gonna buy some anyway so if you remember on the last podcast i talked about how it really bothered me that whenever someone passed away from covid and they had spoken out about not wanting to wear a mask or thinking that masks don't work it really bothered me when people like celebrate their death, you know, and, and use them as an example. And so uh, there, there's a U.S. representative from St. Louis, Missouri, named Maxine Waters. I mean, in, she, she's like 81. She's like old. But she recently spoke about Ben Carson, the, the doctor who passed away from COVID and didn't wear a mask or whatever. And so... She started out speaking of him, saying like nice and complimentary and respectful things, and then she switched, and she made it about not wearing a mask will kill you. And I thought, like, I can't believe the audacity of this woman to sit there and use this dead man as a political football. Like, you should be ashamed of yourself. You're the lowest of lows, I have zero respect for that woman. She's she's not smart. Like she really, I'm gonna pull some clips one day and I'll put them all up here. But 
She says some very, very, very dumb things. But anyway, I looked for the clip of her talking about Ben Carson, and I can't, I can't find it. I heard it on a, um, a radio show, and it was her voice, believe me. I know her voice. But anyway, I got to thinking, like, why, why is this happening? <laughs> why, are, why are we so much at each other's throats about this? Like, why is this happening? And then my thoughts kind of left me for a second, and I stumbled upon an Instagram page. And it was called Just a Girl Being a Puppy. And I don't remember, but I think this person had like a few hundred thousand, maybe just shy of a hundred thousand followers. So whatever, let's just call it a hundred thousand. So a hundred thousand people subscribe to this person's Instagram feed so they can see all the pictures that this person posts. You know what it is? It's like a chubby white girl in her mid-twenties with long, greasy hair. And she acts like a dog, like literally acts like a dog, like barks and like people throw treats at her. It is so weird. And so I was like, okay, this is why, you know, this is why we deserve to have Maxine Waters leading us because we find it entertaining. A hundred thousand people out of 330 million, well, close enough, think that this person is entertaining that they would like to invest their time in watching this grown-ass human act like a dog. You know, little kids act like dogs and they want to be puppies, and that's perfectly fine. They should play pretend. They should use their imagination. Middle-aged white girls should also use their imagination. Whether you want to play pretend or not, that's something you should probably do in your own house, not on the internet. Either way, pretending to be a puppy, like... 100,000 people? Okay, yep, there you go. That's why we get Maxine Waters and Sheila Jackson Lee. Really, it shows like, I feel like it shows intelligence. It shows what we value and what we don't value. And I'm not saying that like people are stupid so they elected them. I'm saying that people are more interested in following girls acting like puppies on Instagram than taking place and voting in a local election. Because these communities that elect people like Sheila Jackson Lee and Marion Barry and Maxine Waters and these hardcore extreme leftists that only care about getting reelected and they do nothing for their districts, literally nothing. The only thing they do is try to get free things. That's it. That's all they represent is how can I get free things to my district? I mean, Sheila Jackson Lee, perfect example. She's like, the only thing they'll let her do in Washington, D.C. is be on the Democratic or the, the, the head of the Democratic Black Caucus. Like, that's it. Sorry, Sheila. You, you, we realize you've been in Washington, D.C. for like 50 years. But no, the only thing we're letting you do is lead the Black Caucus. So either way, these people annoy me because they don't do what's best for their constituents. They do what's best for themselves. And... The people that they represent need the representation the most. They need smart, sly, cunning, assertive people that can march into places and make decisions for them and lead them and not just running around begging for free things. Like, I don't understand how people don't see this. I don't know. I could be wrong. Maybe maybe giving people free things is good and... 
and everyone's wrong when they when they tell their friend to stop letting their son freeload. Maybe maybe that's bad advice and we're just we don't like to say it. I don't know. I don't know. I saw something the other day and I thought that is funny and that's always funny and and it typically doesn't matter the setting that you're in. And I'm going to describe the situation. You got two people. You got a truck or some kind of vehicle. It's even funnier if it's not a truck, but you've got a vehicle you got a trailer attached to it, and you got a boat. That didn't even have to be a boat. It should just be a vehicle and a trailer. And, and they're trying to figure out how to back it up. And it's, it's kind of tough if you've never backed up a trailer, especially if they're really, really short. And I find it hilarious whenever you have two people who are trying to back up a trailer. One person's out in the back behind the whole rig, giving directions, and then the person is on the inside with the windows down, going, I can't hear you. I can't see you. What are you saying? And they got their foot in the brake, and they're leaning out the window, and the other person's screaming, no, don't turn the truck. Turn the trailer to the right. Which right? My right? No, my right. We're not looking the same direction. You know, like, I always think that is funny. And, hey, listen, I've been there. I've been in both positions. I've been the person doing the backing up, getting screamed at. I've been the person doing the backing up, screaming at the person behind me. I've been the person in the back, outside, screaming at the person doing the driving. I've done it all. And I will admit that I was a little bit late to the party of learning how to back up trailers. I will never forget, like in my mid-20s, I still hadn't didn't quite have it figured out. But luckily, my trusty cousin Tyler was always there. And he would take over. I, I think there was a total of about four times, maybe five, where I just threw the truck in park. I'm like, dude, you back it up. I don't even want to do it. And then, and then it got to the point where I wouldn't even try. I would just let him do it. And then finally, he was like, dude, you, you've got to learn how to back up a trailer. <laughs> uh, so finally, I did. I practiced. I had a shop, and I had a boat, and I had a truck, and I got it figured out. And there's a trick to it. You just turn the bottom of the wheel the way you want the trailer to go. It sounds easy. It's, it is as long as you can look through your rearview mirror. When you start looking through your side mirrors, things get squirrely. Man. But yeah, it's always funny watching people do it, watching people fight. The breakdown of communication, oh, it's always funny. Makes me laugh. Okay, last topic of the day. Guess what it's about? COVID masks. But here's the deal. I... Decided to talk about something that I'm grateful for. Because if you can't say anything nice, don't say anything at all. No, I'm just kidding. But I, I saw something the other day, and I'm like, okay, I'm, I'm kind of grateful for the COVID masks because it provided some humor to me. And, and the situation is, it's always like a... It's just a little bit bigger dude. You know, he's the chubby dude. Is got He don't like the mask. It's hard to breathe. It's hot, you know. And so you always see the chubby guys with the surgical masks. And <laughs> when they made those masks, they never thought that they'd be making them for chubby surgeons. I mean, let's just face it. Like, to be a surgeon, you're, you're probably not chubby. I don't know why. I've never met a chubby surgeon. I'm sure they're out there. But they have, like, little delicate fingers, and their hands are very skillful and... They're just not the type of people who are chubby. You know, they're healthy. They're health conscious. So, mask, one size does not fit all on the surgical masks. So, when the chubby dude puts on the surgical mask, 
it's just like his face is so big that it stretches out the entire mask. And then so the, the mask is like plastered against his face. And then it goes between his lips and the lips. And he's trying to talk and the mask is in his lips and he can't really talk, but he's trying real hard to talk. And he don't want to bitch about the mask because he knows he's supposed to wear the mask. And it's just like all of that. If I was a kid, if I was 13 or 14, there was no possible way that I could witness that without like biting my lip and starting to kind of laugh out loud. I don't know why. It was just so funny to me. The mask just plasters against their face. You, you know what I'm talking about. You've seen it. The mask is real tight. It barely stays on. It wants to break the little elastic straps and then it goes between their lips. And then finally they get so fed up with it, they pull it out, pull it out away from their face a little bit. They're lucky if the elastic didn't pop. And then they talk, 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 and they boom, pop it, and it goes right back against her face. <laughs> oh, man. We pay close attention to all these little things because one day we can only hope that corona will be gone. And we're going to have all these crazy stories. And hopefully they will all have taken place in a little short amount of time. But they're going to be stories that people won't believe. And you better find some humor. I think that's going to about wrap things up. Uh, we're like 94 days away from the election, I believe. You know, the presidential election, the one that people actually vote at. And man, it's going to be unprecedented times. The mail-in voting, the not-mail-in voting, the Biden Biden camped out in his basement. I mean... Are we really going to elect someone or might we elect someone who can't come out of the basement? Like, I get it. Like, he's scared of COVID. That's fine. But he can't. If he's too sick to come out and face the country, how is he going to lead from the basement? I mean, of the White House? I, I don't know. I don't know. I guarantee you he's not going to want to debate. I hope they do. I want to drag them both on stage. I want to make them debate each other. I don't want no Zoom debate with Joe Biden got an earpiece in somebody telling him what to say. I want a good old-fashioned debate. There's absolutely no reason. I'll tell you right now. If there's no debate, it's because they didn't want to. One of the other sides didn't want to. Because there is no reason they can't have two men in a room together, 10 feet apart, each in front of a podium with three moderators, and they can televise it. You know what? It's good. I don't want the audience. I hate the audiences in debates. They clap, they scream, they yell, they cheer. And it, it turns in from a debate to like a sporting event. Either way, don't get me started about that. I feel like my election time is being robbed. Normally, the presidential election for me is like I get hyped up like it's the Olympics or the Super Bowl. And it's just being robbed for me because of COVID. So... We'll see what happens. He was supposed to announce his running mate. Couldn't do that. I feel like last minute dirt came up and um, he decided not to make the announcement. I might talk a little bit about I'm, I'm ready for him to announce his running mate so I can talk about it. But I think it's silly that before they pick a candidate, they're going to say that they need to find someone of a specific skin color and a specific sex. I think that is the most ridiculous thing you can do. I think you should pick the best person for the position. I don't think it's good to minimize the pool of selection such a drastic amount. But I'm not going to go into details. I'm going to end this podcast. I'm going to go take a shower. 
I'm going to go feed the dogs, and then I'm going to chill out. I appreciate you listening. Thank you. Life in Paradise podcast. If you need anything, you can send me an email to brandon at newasisbrewing.com. That's N-U-E-C-E-S. Thanks again for listening. Keep it tranquilo. Tranquilo.